Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Lord, we come as your children this evening, and we have felt your presence with us, for the Spirit has been dealing with our hearts, and we praise your name for giving Steve the desire to stand in the pulpit and endeavor to serve you as he has so wonderfully done this evening. We thank you, Lord, for all the members of this church, most especially our youth who are demonstrating a desire to serve you in a very special way. Now, as we look at your word tonight, dealing with those things where we live, may our hearts be open and receptive. We would understand your truth. For this we pray through Christ our Redeemer. Amen. This morning we talked about the negative side of the word temptation, in which we dealt with the problem of temptation usually being that which the devil throws at us in trying to detract us from our purpose, to take us away from the church, to take us away from prayer, away from any kind of service to the church. And we've all been through those problems of being very strongly tempted, and sometimes we have yielded to that which we knew was wrong, but our relationship to the Lord was not as strong as it should have been. We didn't have on our armor, and therefore the devil got to us and succeeded in detracting us from our main purpose and goal in life. It's all happened. It has happened to us all. But the other side of this subject, temptation, is more tied up in the term trial. And you will find it used throughout the scripture in which you have to read the content to determine if the word temptation is meaning that which the devil is doing or that which the Lord is doing. Because the word is used to say that the Lord tempts us. But when you really get the the content of the scripture at that point, we suddenly discover it is the Lord tempting us, meaning the Lord is trying us. He's putting us to the test, as opposed to Satan, who is trying to get us to do wrong. And we quoted the scripture this morning that the Lord does not tempt, in this term, anybody. The Lord will never lead you into a position where you might possibly sin where you might fall. That is not his purpose. That would be counterproductive. The devil will do that because it's producing for him. The Lord will not tempt you. The Lord will allow you to be tempted by the devil. The Lord will test you. And we go through this all the time, but the Lord will not, in the terminology that we use this morning, uh, tempt us at all. So this evening, we want to look 
at the term temptation as is used in the sixth verse and tie it into the seventh very strongly when he says that we are in heaviness through manifold temptations to understand the word temptations here to mean uh, testing. Manifold mean many. So we are in heaviness through many temptations, I'm sorry, many trials. We are in heaviness through many trials. And all of us have felt heaviness because the Lord is putting us to the test to see what we're made out of. He goes on the seventh verse to say that the trial, the trial of your faith is more precious than gold that is put to the test in a fire. Or if we read it from the Living Bible, your faith is far more precious to God than mere gold. So if your faith remains strong after being tried in the test tube of fiery trials, it will bring much praise and glory and honor on the day of his return. Now, we all have experienced the value of tests. We shudder at them, but we know that they're important. Some of you recently have gone to the doctor for tests. Why did you go? Because you needed to know something about your physical body. And the tests had to be done. They weren't exactly desirable. Some of them hurt and were uncomfortable and all the things, and we resist them as much as we possibly can. But we recognize the value of going through the turmoil in order that we might know the results. A test in school is the same thing. It is important for the student to be tested, to put his mind or her mind against the subject matter and see if, in fact, he or she has obtained the knowledge that has been presented in the classroom. Some of us, have, some of you maybe, I don't recall that I ever specifically did, have tested an engine. One of the things you do to an engine is rub it up to see just how much it'll take before it breaks. You really put it to the test, um, and all of the, the uh, automobile companies do that with a new engine. They will, they will test it to its extreme to see how much it will take to break it or something to go wrong. That's important for them to test that engine in their laboratories and on their test tracks because it means that we have a safer product to drive, and when you buy a Ford or a Chrysler or a General Motors or American Motors or whatever product, we can be fairly secure in knowing that that automobile will be capable of doing more than we're going to require of it. Sometimes we get a lemon and it doesn't work out that way, but that's the mechanical problems. We understand the value of testing. I used to have rabbit dogs. Bill's got a rabbit dog. Maybe some of the rest of you do too. And one of the things that I did with my dog was take them out to try them out. To see if they'll run a rabbit. To see what's going to happen when I shoot that shotgun over their head. And I remember the first time I did that with two, I turned around and looked for my dogs and they were gone. And I found them the next day. They weren't ready for that test. I didn't realize that. An athlete goes through the process of testing. He puts his body to the limits. Some of us have had stress tests. 
Get on that treadmill and work till you think you're going to drop what the doctor needs to know, what the results of that test is, in order to advise us about our physical capabilities. And those tests are stiff. It's, it's a competition against ourselves in that case to see what we're capable of doing. That's all, all in good value. And we understand the reason for testing. Should we not understand that God has a purpose in putting us to the test to see what we're made of? To see how far we will go, to see what we can stand and what we can't stand? How strong our faith is, where our weak points are? And out of the testing, you see a person become stronger. Because when we fail and don't succeed in a test, we work on that particular point and strengthen that area. When we took tests in school, if we failed mathematics, then we knew that we had to work on that. And we went back and worked harder on it than anything else. If your problem was English, then you worked on that or whatever the subject was. It was a value to know where your weaknesses are. Now, God already knows where our weaknesses are. But he wants us to know. Now, this morning, we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, which dealt with the subject of temptation. I want to go back to that just for a moment. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. point that we didn't make this morning that is now important for us to make. No temptation, uh, well, let me start over. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer, that is, not allow you to be tempted above what you are able to bear, but will, with the temptation, also make a way of escape. The center phrase... God will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able to bear. He will allow Satan to tempt you. He will allow it. And as a result of that, he can use the temptation that Satan brings as a test to determine what you're made of. One of the things that is important for a person who is on a sugar-free diet is to be able to walk by a piece of chocolate cake and leave it alone. It is not good to hide the cake. He must be strong enough to resist the temptation and leave it alone. That's tough, but it's important. Sometimes I succeed in doing that, and sometimes I don't succeed too well. It's awful easy to reach over there and grab that piece of chocolate cake. But it's important for a person who, I think, for a person who is on a given diet, not to try to hide all that stuff from him. He's got to have enough fortitude and enough guts uh, to walk by it and say, I can't have it and leave it alone. It's also important for us as a Christian to be able to see sin and not yield to it. 
You see, we can't escape being in the presence of sin. Of having it thrown out where we can see it. You can't watch television without being tempted to do something wrong. Whether it's immorality, whether it's alcohol, uh, whatever it might be. It's there. But somewhere in our teaching, in our preaching, we ought to have been brought to the place in our life that we're strong enough to say no. This is one word that we haven't been taught well enough in this world. This is one word that we don't teach our kids enough, is the word no. It ought to be possible for us to say flatly and firmly when there is a temptation in front of us, when somebody entices us to be wrong, to simply say no. But we get all tied up in our relationships and we're afraid that if we don't go along with the crowd, that the crowd's not going to think well of us and we're going to be less than we want to be. We want to be people of distinction and well-liked and respected. But listen, the person who says no will ultimately be respected more than the person who gives in. People respect people for their firmness in their conviction. We should not apologize for being Christian. We should not hide our faith. It ought to be out there where people can see it. And when they question us, say with assurance, yes, indeed, I am a Christian. Yes, I go to church. Yes, I believe in prayer. Yes, I read the Bible. Let's don't hide our faith because somebody might think that we're rather odd to be individuals who go to church and do all those things that they don't seem to think is so valuable. You discover after a while that even the hardened sinner respects the hardened Christian. Did you hear the word I said? A hardened criminal will respect a hardened Christian, but nobody respects anyone who is wishy-washy and uncertain as to where they stand. Nobody. There is honor among thieves, so the statement is. A thief respects the honor of another thief. I'm not quite sure why all that is, but that, that happens so. So, our, our life should be put out there, even though the temptation is in front of us and Satan stands there and barters with us and appeals to us and pleads with us to go ahead and eat the apple on the tree, we ought to be strong enough in our faith to say absolutely no. And in this process, God has put us to the test to see just what will we do with our faith. What will we do? Back in the Old Testament, we had the test of Abraham. Remember, Abraham had no children, but God had promised him an heir. It would be the father of a great nation. And then the day came when God said to Abraham, I want, to take, I want you to take your only son, Isaac, and I want you to take him out there on the mountain, and I want you to put him on an altar and kill him, and give him as a sacrifice to me. You talk about a test. Quite a test. I remember a missionary who said one time that 
He observed a pagan, I think it was in Africa, if I recall right, who had two children. One child was a weakling, a cripple. The other child was a perfect specimen of health. And this particular tribe worshipped the god of the river. And that god required human sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin. And that missionary watched that woman take her healthy child and pick it up and throw it into the river as a sacrifice to the god of the river. And the missionary spoke to her about it and was criticizing her a little bit about doing such a thing and made the comment, well, if you were going to do it, why didn't you sacrifice your uh, crippled child instead of your whole child? And this woman made a very good point. She said, I don't know what your God requires of you, but my God requires the best that I have. I think it's time that we recognize that our God requires the best there is of us. And Abraham was required to offer the only thing, not only the best, but the only thing that he had, and that was his only son. And so he went to that mountaintop, and he prepared the altar, and he bound his son, and he took the dagger, ready to strike it in his heart to kill his son before he set the, the altar on fire. And God stayed his hand, and he said, Now I know that you believe and worship me. Now I know. It was a test. It was a test. Could you pass the test? Job was another illustration of a test. Satan came to God. Claimed that this man, Job, that was down upon earth, God was protecting him. God wouldn't let anybody near him. No evil could beset him. He had everything that possibly could be and no opportunity that Job could even think about disobeying uh, God. Satan said, you take away all the things he has and I'll guarantee you, he'll blaspheme you. He'll curse you. And God said, all right, I'll let you have him, but you can't take his life. God placed the limit upon Satan. Satan came down and took away from him all of his family, all of his possessions. So he was in absolute poverty and covering him with boils from the head of his, from the the crown of his head to the very soles of his feet. He was absolutely covered with boils. He sat there in the ashes, in misery, absolute misery. And his wife said to him, why don't you curse God and die? But he wouldn't do it. He didn't understand what had happened to him. He didn't know why he was going through the trial. He didn't even know it was a trial. He couldn't comprehend his position in life now. He once had had everything, and now he had nothing. He once had all the friends in the world, and now they were gone. His children were gone. Everything was gone. God was putting him to the test. 
see, would he curse him? Satan said he would. Job refused. And the scripture tells us that God blessed the latter part of Job's life more than he had even blessed the first part. Listen. The man and the woman that passes the test of God puts upon him will be blessed. God will bless his life if we're faithful. He wants to know how much faith we have. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse, verse 12 says something very important on this very subject. He says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. It is not strange that God trials us. And Peter says to us, do not think it is strange if you're in, under a trial. Don't think it's strange. James 1.2 says, consider it joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Consider it joy when you're undergoing trials. James 1.12 says, blessed is the man who perseveres under trials. He will receive a crown of life. I have never, I think, accepted this fact, but I know it's true. When I was going to school, I hated tests with a passion. I can look back on it now, and I can say, I wished I'd had more tests. You know why? Because it would have proven to me what I really knew, what I was made of, what I could withstand. I hated those football practices that we had that nearly drove me to the ground. I felt exhausted time after time, but now as I look back on it, I knew they were good. And he should have given more of them because it built up stamina. I don't like to go through the problems that life has to offer any more than anybody else does. But there's one thing that I think we can realize in parallel, that the trials that we go through, if we are faithful to God and will resist the temptations of the devil and stand firm and keep our faith in God, the end of our life will be more glorious than the first part. We've got good yet to come. It's not behind us, it's in front of us. The better part of our life is not yesterday. The best part of our life is tomorrow. And the day after tomorrow. The anticipation of what God has prepared for us should be far superior to what we've already experienced. What's the purpose of testing? Why didn't God just come along and say, Now look, Satan, don't you touch Job. Why did God allow this? Number one, God allowed it because Job showed his true colors. And God will put us to the test in order that we might show our true colors. Go back with me to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8. 
on to chapter 8 is talking about the reason for the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness for the Hebrew people. Why didn't God just allow the people to come out of Egypt and just walk across the desert and into the promised land in a matter of a few days? He could have. But he states in chapter 8, verse 2, the reason. Number one, he says, to humble thee. And secondly, to prove thee, to know what is in thine heart. There are two good reasons right there for testing. Some of us need to be humbled. Some of us are too high and mighty. Some of us have too much power of our own that we think that we are capable of doing anything we want to do. We have got it made. We know how. We are well off. God will have to prove to us that we are nothing before we can be something. Sometimes he has to do that to us. So one purpose of trials is to humble us, to bring us down. And secondly, he says to prove us, see what we're made out of. Look at chapter 13 of Deuteronomy and verse 3. Starting down in the middle of the, of the sentence, because I don't want to have to go into discussion of the total reason for the, for the verse 3. But that where it says, The Lord your God proveth you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. He will put us to the test so that he will know if we love him with all our heart and with all our soul. That's why he puts us to the test. 1 Corinthians 12, 32 says, And when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord in order that we may not be condemned along with the world. We ought to be glad that the Lord tests us because the Lord only tests his children. The Lord does not test those who are not his children. A teacher doesn't test anybody except those in her class or his class. The Lord only tests those that are his. If you're tested, it's a good sign you belong to the Lord. And what's he trying to do? He's trying to take you and me, a sow's ear, and make a silk purse out of us. And he'll accomplish it. He'll take the weakness that we are and make something great. He'll take the inferiority of us and make us something usable. He'll take the sin that is in us and destroy it and put in its place the glory of heaven. And he has to do it by purging out all those things that are in there that are contrary to his will so that he can put in something good. And that sometimes is pretty tough to do. Because we want to hold on to all those things of the world. And the Lord has to work awful hard sometimes to get them out of us. We just let go and let those things out and let the Lord in. We wouldn't face near as much trial. We resist too much. So, the question is, are you tempted or are you under trial? Is the devil after you or the Lord after you? 
Depends on which one's after you as to what's happening to you. You're tenth of our one hand or you're tried on the other. Pray to God for all of us are in trial. Not a Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.